Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of, clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. The passage that was just read is the passage that we're going to be anchored in this morning. I've entitled the sermon this morning, Field of Favor. Field of favor. I want to start by asking you a question. Have you ever been shown favor in such a way that it stunned you? To be clear, I'm not talking about favoritism. I'm not talking about flattery. I'm not talking about you being shown favor by somebody because of what you can offer them in return. I'm talking about grace. I'm talking about unmerited favor, undeserved kindness, mercy. You know, I was thinking of some examples, some, some minuscule examples of favor that has been shown me over the years. Uh, someone picks up the bill at dinner. Or I, I pull up in the Starbucks drive-thru and someone has bought my coffee. Maybe the times when someone has said, I forgive you, Arch, instead of holding a grudge against me for my sin. There's many more examples of times that you've been shown favor or maybe that you've shown favor to others. But sometimes when we're met with unmerited favor, it shocks us. Like it shocks our whole system. We don't know what to do. We're struck. That's grace. And in those moments, it's very easy to just go, oh, no, 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 you don't need to do that, right? Or maybe you say, well, I, I can't possibly accept this. Or, okay, well, I'll get the next one. Have you ever responded like that to grace? 
to favor that's unmerited? I have. What we're looking at this morning in our text in Ruth is the stunning power of unmerited favor. Ruth, the young Moabite woman, a foreigner, a widow who's poor and hungry and desperate for someone to show her favor, she steps out into unfamiliar territory, into fields, and hoping to find this kind of unmerited favor. And she is shown unmerited favor, and it stuns her. But ultimately, in all humility and deep gratitude, she accepts the favor that is extended to her. That's why I've entitled the sermon, Field of Favor. Look with me again at Ruth chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. Let's, let's reread this together with that in mind. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, Oh, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why? Have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. The first thing I want you to see in this text this morning is that Ruth seeks out favor. 
We see that in verses 1 through 3. Let's start in verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So here is the man Boaz, introduced to us for the first time in the book of Ruth. And this is what's said about him. He's a relative of Naomi, specifically in the clan of Elimelech. And he's described as a worthy man. And that word worthy, it means strength. So it's describing Boaz as a man of strength, of valor, virtue, and power. And some suggest it has a connotation of wealth as well. This is a powerful man. His name is Boaz, and that's fitting because the sound in the Hebrew words, it could be interpreted as in him is strength. But this is not a very common name, Boaz. However, it is referenced in another spot in the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 21, records that King Solomon had named one of the pillars of the temple Boaz. Possibly in honor of Boaz. Definitely symbolic of strength. The details that the author of Ruth is incorporating here are very important, and they're going to make more sense as we continue in this book But for now, I want you to look at verse 2. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So I want you to see that Ruth is not forced into the field by her mother-in-law. Ruth is not Cinderella that's being mistreated by Naomi and saying, hey, go into the fields and bring back food for the table. She is going out, Ruth, on her own will. She is asking permission even in submission to Naomi, her mother-in-law, to go and gather and glean to bring food home for her and for her mother-in-law. Gleaning. What is that? Because that's what she's doing. She's requesting to glean. Gleaning is when someone who in particular is in need would go into the harvest fields and they would pick up the leftovers starting at the edge of the land and occasionally going into the middle of the land and picking up the stalks and the scraps that were accidentally dropped by the harvesters. And friends, in a society where there is no social services to protect the poor and the vulnerable. And as I've mentioned a couple sermons ago, I mean, this is the judge's era. There's nothing like that for Ruth. Fortunately, God had instituted a law through Moses long before this time for people just like Ruth, the poor, the destitute, the widow, the orphan, the fatherless, the sojourner. We see this in Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyards bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. 
And then God puts his name as a stamp on this command in Leviticus. He says, I am the Lord, your God. So this is not him saying, hey, this is a suggestion as you farm. This is him saying, you are to do this because though you are a landowner and this is your possession and property, I own you and I own the land and I own every cattle on a thousand hills. And there are going to be some in this fallen, broken world who are in need. And you're not to touch the edges of your field. Those are to be for them. That's my supply for them. That's God's grace. Deuteronomy 24, verse 19 and 22 says this. When you reap your harvest in the field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back for it after you remember. It says it shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Verse 22, you shall remember in context of this command that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So where is this command coming from? It's coming from the heart of a sovereign redeemer God, a gracious God, a merciful God, a God who's reminding his people, I showed you grace, I brought you out of slavery, you are to show grace and mercy and steadfast love and kindness in my image to the people around you. So Ruth the Moabite steps out into the fields Fields that she's unfamiliar with, with land odors that she's unfamiliar with, in search of favor that's unmerited. And God's grace and God's providence brings her to the field of Boaz. Look at verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. You pick up on that repetition there? Being of the clan of Elimelech is going to come in great significance later on. She happened to come to the field of Boaz? Yeah, from her perspective, absolutely. It was an accident. I love that one theologian by the name of Sasson points this out. He says, by calling this meeting an accident, The writer is enabling himself to subtly point out that even the so-called accidental is directed by God. If you didn't believe in the sovereignty of God when you walked in here this morning, I want you to just go 60 miles deeper in your understanding of his sovereign rule and reign And his providence in every detail of your life, every leaf that falls from the tree, every sparrow that falls from the air, every hair that falls from your head, he is not just aware of, he is engaged in it all. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. There are times in your life and mine when we just forget that God is just as sovereign over every detail as he is of all the details in Ruth's life here, let us remember. In the field of Boaz, Ruth finds favor, and that's my second point. Look at verse 4. Ruth finds favor. It says, 
Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. So he enters the field, and he addresses his hired hands, his harvesters, using the personal and covenantal name of God, Yahweh, Lord, all caps. What's the author trying to communicate to us through this? I think that the content of this greeting is intentionally identifying Boaz as a man of God, at least by profession, right? At least by his lips. We're going to see if his character matches his profession of faith, but he identifies with Yahweh and his labors as well identify with Yahweh. They're acknowledging Yahweh. There had been a famine in the land for an extended period of time, maybe 10 years, and yet God had ended the famine and brought food to his people, and they are saying, the Lord be with you, the Lord bless you. They are saying, the Lord's presence brings blessing. They are bringing us back to Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, where Naomi had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. He is a good God, and he does not change. He's a God of grace. After giving this greeting, someone catches Boaz's eye. Look at verse 5. And Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, he said, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, oh, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. This is the first time that Boaz lays eyes on Ruth. And he turns to his foreman and he's inquiring about her. Who is she? But I want you to notice what he said. He doesn't say, who is this woman? Boaz asks, whose young woman is this? This is significant. For several reasons. Boaz is insinuating that Ruth would have or should have belonged under the covering and protection and provision and care and love of a man. Either her father or a husband. It's not that she doesn't have an identity as an individual person. She does. But part of her identity as a woman is that she is intrinsically connected to male headship, to leadership, not oppressive male domineering. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about loving, protective, cherishing care of a husband or a father where she's submitting to authority and she's operating as a helper. This is God's good design for women. This is symbolized in every single wedding ceremony that you and I have ever been to. The father walks the daughter down the aisle and there's no lag time between him and the groom. He hands her off 
from his arm to the groom's. Genesis 2.24, this is where it's all rooted, friends. It says this, Therefore a man, not a woman, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, a wife who a father would give to him, and they shall become one flesh. But here's the troubling thing about the question that Boaz asks and the response of the reapers. Boaz says, whose young woman is this? And the reality is, she doesn't have a father anymore. She is a widow. She's husbandless. She's made a trek from Moab to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Look at verse 7. The foreman says, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. She doesn't have someone that's providing and protecting her. So she's out in the fields providing and caring for her and her mother-in-law. And the, re- the, uh, the foreman says that she continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. And so there's two things I want you to see about Ruth here, about her character. Number one, this is not an entitled young woman. This is not a young woman who's made a, a long journey and now she's here in Bethlehem and she's going, all right, Naomi, uh, tap all your resources and let's see how we're going to get food on the table. She is actively going out because she's not a lazy woman. And she is working the fields without a father, without a husband. She's working hard to provide for herself and for Naomi. She started early in the morning. I I think the implication here is that she's working harder than some of Boaz's hired hands. And here comes a huge moment. Because this hard-working woman is about to meet a worthy man. Look at verse 8 and 9. We see... Boaz taking steps towards Ruth, speaking to Ruth for the first time, after seeing her for the first time, and learning of her. And friends, he knocks it out of the park. I mean, fellas, you need to take notes. If you're a young man in this room and you desire to have a spouse one day, you need to take notes on how he speaks to this young woman from Moab. First thing I want you to see, it's, it's not cheesy or sleazy, okay? Okay? He's not, he's not saying, hey, baby, how are you doing, Ruth? But he speaks directly to her. He says, now listen. He didn't stutter. He wasn't cocky, but he was confident. He said, now listen, because he was about to say something that he had thought about before he took steps towards her. He says, now listen, my daughter. Not only is he direct, he's warm. He's he's non-threatening in the way that he approaches Ruth and speaks to Ruth. By saying, my daughter, he's communicating that though they're meeting for the first time, he is adopting a fatherly, protective, caring attitude towards her, a young woman without a father or a husband. She's not in danger with him. He's not being nice to her because he wants to get in bed with her. He's speaking to her like a father speaks to a daughter. 
Thirdly, his words are welcoming and hospitable. He says, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. And what he's saying, he's not saying to Ruth, look, I'm keeping you captive. You're a slave of mine here in this field. He's saying, you don't need to go to another field. You are welcome here, my daughter. Glean as long as you'd like, from as early in the morning to as late as you'd like. But he's also protective and comforting of this young woman. And so he says this. He says, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? So apparently Boaz had teams of uh, female workers in the field and male workers in the field. And in telling Ruth to stay close to the young women, he's really doing more than just protecting her for safety reasons. He is providing her with female camaraderie and community that Ruth, I'm sure, never hoped or dreamed that she would find so quickly after arriving in a foreign land as a Moabite woman. This is incredible what he's doing for her. You and I both know, I mean, if you've lived in this nation all your life and you've just moved from one state to another, it's hard to find community, isn't it? But here's Boaz providing not only community, but safety. And he further comforts Ruth's heart by saying, he's already specifically laid down the law with the young men, explicitly telling them not to bother her, not to harass her, not to hit on her, not to even think about touching her. And this reminds us that though people may have professed allegiance to Yahweh, a profession of faith is just a profession of faith. This is the judge's era. And there's always, in every community of faith, goats among the sheep. There would likely be men in that field who did not fear Yahweh as they should, and they would sexually assault Ruth if given a chance to do so without being caught in the tall grass of the field. So Boaz is laying down the law for them, and he is giving her assurance that she's safe in this field. His words are full of kindness and generosity. He says, And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. They aren't her vessels. It's not water that Ruth drew. It's water that's been drawn by other people. It's not her water. And, and so Boaz is going beyond just saying, you may pick up the scraps, you may glean. He's saying, when you get tired in the fields from your hard labor, I will provide you drink. I'll give you water with the sun beating down so that you can get a double measure to take home to you and your mother-in-law. I mean, this is grace. This is favor. This is kindness, undeserved. Another landowner, I mean, they might have withheld water from those who are gleaning in their fields. They might have said, man, if I withhold the water, then maybe they'll glean for less time, and then we can go back and disobey God's commands and take those gleanings from the floor of the field. 
but not Boaz. Ruth is absolutely stunned by this grace. She is stunned by the favor that's been shown to her through Boaz by Yahweh. So look at verse 10. What does she do? She fell on her face, bowing to the ground. And she said to him, why? Why have you, why have I found favor in your eyes? Why? Why have you done this? Why have you done this for me? That I should take, that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner. She's just, why? That's the question. She's stunned. She's startled. She's shocked by the unmerited favor shown. It's almost inappropriate the way she responds. She's bowed down. It's like a a posture of worship. But this external posture, her outward behavior, is pointing to and revealing a humble heart in Ruth, a grateful, submissive, respectful heart in Ruth. It acknowledges her sense of weakness, vulnerability, and dependence upon mercy. Why have I found favor in your eyes? It's an honest question. Ruth recognizes, she acknowledges that in words, Boaz is showing her a foreigner grace. Although Ruth would likely be treated like a foreigner in most of Bethlehem, she's going to be treated like family in the field of favor here, in Boaz's field. This favor stunned her. (laughs) And I think grace is hard to grasp sometimes, isn't it? I'd say it's pretty impossible to grasp, actually. The grace of God, trying to take hold of it, it's like taking, trying to take hold of water. Have you ever tried to grab water and bring it back to the house? You can't grab it. You've got to cup your hands and receive grace like this with a grateful heart as a free gift. Ultimately, Boaz tells her why he's being kind, and Ruth accepts the favor. And that's my third and final point. Ruth accepts favor. Look at verse 11. But Boaz answered her, Why? All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz makes it clear here that he has heard about Ruth. He has heard about Ruth's kindness to Naomi. The question is, how did he hear about that? Answer is, we don't know. I mean, the text just doesn't tell us. It's a mystery. Did he hear about it through Ruth? Ruth? Or Naomi, rather? 
Or did he hear about it through the people that Naomi had talked to, the, the women that met Naomi that first day in the town when she arrived? We don't know. But what is clear here is that Naomi had shared with others, not just about her bitter trials in Moab, but friends, she had shared about the insistent love and loyalty and faith of this young Moabite woman, Ruth, in the midst of Naomi's sorrow. Boaz was particularly impressed with Ruth, that she had left her birthplace, which he mentions here, both father and mother was there. We didn't know that in chapter 1. So again, this clues us into the the cost of leaving Moab. She would have left not just her mother in Moab, her biological mother, but her biological father, who apparently was alive when she left to go to Bethlehem with Naomi. And at first, it it might seem like Boaz was explaining, why have you shown me favor, Boaz? And it might be like, well, because of the good things you've done for Naomi. But that's not the case. Because when you drill down deeper and you look at verse 12, you see that it's not her actions, it's not Ruth's works, it's not her good deeds that are being seen and blessed in this moment. It's her faith in Yahweh. It's her taking refuge in the one and only God, the God of Israel. Boaz explains why he's showing her favor. It is favor being extended through him by Yahweh to her. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, not me, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge So all that Ruth had done for Naomi, it's just the fruit. I mean, it's just the top surface level stuff that's rooted in her faith in the one true God. She had been taken captive by Yahweh during that 10-year period in Moab when she was in a family of true worshipers of God. She came to know his steadfast love, his faithfulness, his kindness, his mercy, She came to love him. She came to fear him. She came to see that to follow him and experience suffering and hardship and trials and disaster and sorrow and tears was better than to stay in a pagan land and worship false deities that would never be there to comfort her soul. She's a believer. The wings of Yahweh. Wings, they're they're a suggestive metaphor in Israel signifying strength, protection. Ties back to the name Boaz in him is strength. Wings are mentioned in the redemption of Israel out of Egypt. Exodus 19 verse 4 says, you yourselves have seen, speaking to that generation, what I, God, did to the Egyptians. He destroyed them when they pursued them through the Red Sea. And he says, and how I bore you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. 
All grace. Powerful grace. Similarly, we see God's wings mentioned in the Psalms. The place where his people seek out refuge and protection. Psalm 36, 7. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Boy, mankind covers more than just the Jews, doesn't it? That's more than just Israel. Mankind, that, that's all in Adam. That's Jew and Gentile like any and all who take refuge under the wings of the one true God, Yahweh, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as He's revealed Himself in the Scriptures, will find safe refuge in His wings. Psalm 57.1, the psalmist cries out, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. You and I will experience many storms of destruction in this life. You and I will lose people that we love in this lifetime. But it is better to be under the wings of God and experience the tragedies in a fallen world than to be found elsewhere. Boaz's personal theology comes out here. I mean, he believes in his soul that God is true to his word, that God, the one true God, rewards all those who take refuge and shelter in the wings of Yahweh, including this young woman, a Moabite widow, a Gentile. Friends, Naomi had urged Ruth to go back home and find strength and protection under her family's wings. And then ultimately under the wings of a Moabite pagan husband. And Ruth refused to take shelter under such weak wings. She knew Yahweh. And she said, I'd rather spend the rest of my life as a single woman out in the fields begging for bread than to marry with an unbeliever and to go back to false gods made of wood or clay or stone who will never catch my tears and never hear or respond to my cries. Although the favor of Boaz initially stunned Ruth, she eventually accepts it. We see that in verse 13. It says, Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Ruth started out in verse 2 with the hope of stepping out and finding favor in the fields. Then in verse 10, when she's shown great grace and unmerited favor, she asks the question, why? Why me? 
But now Ruth accepts the grace and the unmerited favor shown to her, saying, I have found favor in your eyes. And she tells Boaz she is grateful for his kind words and his generous actions. They've comforted her greatly. What can we take away from this passage, from this encounter in the field of favor? Number one, I think that we need to remember that God's grace pursued Ruth and us long before she or we took a step towards God or His grace. Ruth was minding her own business in Moab. She was not seeking Yahweh or his grace when Yahweh sought her. God sent a famine in his own land to move a family to a foreign land so that she could become a member of not just that family, friends, but the family of God through faith in Yahweh. Grace, relentless pursuit of unmerited favor by God to save his daughter, a Gentile Moabite woman. All grace. And through this woman, God ultimately brings Jesus Christ into the world, as we will see, to save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ was found in the genealogy of Ruth and Boaz. Secondly, we need to remember that God's grace is shown to people not because of anything good in people. There is no good in us, no no righteousness in us. There is nothing that you can take hold of and offer to God that will merit you favor with God, that will bring God pleasure, that will give you entrance into the kingdom of God. Not a single thing, not the best moment of your life, not your highlight reel of righteousness. We need to remember through this text that God is not good to good people. God is good because God is good. God is good to bad people because he's a good God. And that bad people, sinners, you and I, need a good God to show us favor that's unmerited. Because we have sinned against him and we have sinned against others. And we need salvation. We need grace. A person who has received God's grace as a free gift through faith in Christ is full of humility and gratitude. They boast not in themselves, not in anything that they have done, not in anything that they plan to do, but in everything Christ has done in his perfect life, in his substitutionary death on that cross, and in his victory over sin and death in his resurrection. They boast in his ascension, in his his session, his seating at the right hand of God to intercede for us now when we stumble and fall from time to time. We, we boast in his continued grace and favor towards us, his patient love. That's what a believer boasts in. That's what someone who's received God's grace 
looks like. They are genuinely converted and it will evidence themselves not just through their relationship to God, but the way that they relate to the people in their lives who sin against them. They are quicker to forgive. They are quicker to extend grace, quicker to extend mercy. And the more they get to know God through the word and they are seeing the full scope of the beauty of the gospel, it gets quicker and quicker. They look for opportunities to show mercy and grace. Thirdly, we need to remember that we cannot repay God for his grace. God does not save us by grace through faith in Christ so that we can then earn his favor. It's unmerited favor. And the reality is, even as believers, it is so easy to step into that trap. It's laid everywhere day to day. So we need to preach the gospel to one another. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. And we need to walk not for God's favor, but from God's favor that he will never take back from us in Christ. The first song that I ever wrote as a new Christian, and it's not published, okay? It's not like it's a big deal. But it was just me. It was for me. It was for my soul. I wrote this song. I'm a new believer, and it was entitled, Lost in Your Love. And I, like Ruth, I was at this point, obviously, coming to faith, coming to understand the gospel for the first time, the grace of God. And I was stunned. I just, I was, me? Why me? I have nothing to offer you. All that I have is sin that needs your death on the cross to pay its penalty. That's all I have. And I still get choked up when I sing this song around the house. And so I just want to share a portion of it with you because it's relevant. And, and these are some of the lines. It says, why? Going back to Ruth's question. Why in the world would you choose me? What can I offer you, my Savior and my King? Why would you ever die for me? You knew the things I'd do, and you loved me all the same. I am lost in your love. I am lost in your love. I am lost in your love. I am lost. And the truth is, it is only when a person is lost in this love of God, His unmerited favor, His grace, when their eyes have been opened to it, that they are no longer lost, but are truly found in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we give You praise this morning. For being who you are, a God of grace. We know that you are not indifferent towards sin or evil. You will punish every evil word, thought, and action on judgment day when Christ returns. But in loving kindness, you have sent Jesus the first time to take on the punishment 
for our sin at the cross. So that through repentance of sin and faith in Christ, we could have all our sins pardoned, forgiven, and receive the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And there is no way to return the favor that you've shown us in your Son. Help us to not attempt to do that. I pray that you would save some here today by your grace. Those who are exhausted because they have hopelessly been attempting to earn and merit your favor. They've tried desperately to be good enough for a holy God and fallen short. I pray that you would make your grace known to them intellectually and spiritually in their hearts, that you would open up the eyes of their heart to see that they can't merit your favor. But there is one who can and he has. And Jesus Christ says at the cross, it is finished. He accomplished the law. He fulfilled the law. He loved God perfectly. He loved his neighbor perfectly for their sake. I pray that you would help them to see that to trust in him, to come alive, to be put at rest, to begin rejoicing in their sovereign redeemer. I pray that you would strengthen and encourage Christians here today, God, by your grace, that they might worship you and serve you from that place of rest and rejoicing. 